I'm Michael Pauley, and this is Faith and Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Welcome back, everyone. It's a lovely warm summer day, but we can't really see it because we're broadcasting today from a windowless studio in the Chancery Office of the Diocese of Rapid City. And this happens to be the 103rd episode of Faith and Politics, but it doesn't quite feel that way to me because this is only the second one that I participated in as the new executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. So I'm a bit new to the world of podcasting and a little rough around the edges, and that's one reason why I'm happy to be joined in the studio today by a real pro in the world of podcasting, and that is Chris Motes. Chris, welcome. I'm glad to be It's great to be here. You nailed it, by the way, Michael. That opening was just like... I'm Michael Pauly. I'm, I'm, I'm faking it pretty well. No, you, just, you did great. <laughs> well, uh, Chris needs no introduction for the regular followers of the podcast, but for those who may be listening on the radio for the first time, Chris is the chief of staff for Bishop Donald DeGroote and the Diocese of Sioux Falls and the former executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. So, Chris, you are in Rapid City this week for the annual meeting of the State Bar of South Dakota. And for those not familiar with legal jargon. The State Bar is not a government-owned pub. That is the professional association of just over 3,000 attorneys. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of our listeners probably think that a multi-day meeting with a bunch of lawyers sounds like a pretty dry affair. But Come this, on. <laughs> this week, there were some events that are actually important for the life of the church. So can you share a little bit, a bit about that with our listeners? Yeah, of course. Uh, we had a Red Mass yesterday celebrated by Bishop Peter Mewich. Um, a Red Mass, I learned from Bishop Peter, dates back to the year 1245 in the city of Paris. The, wow. first, the first Red Mass was celebrated. And it's a Mass that uh, commemorates and prays for the legal and lawmaking professions. So those who practice law, who judge laws, and who make laws. Um, and yesterday it was kind of a special Red Mass because it was also the feast of two great martyrs of the church, Bishop John Fisher and St. Thomas More. Uh, Thomas More, of course, being the patron saint of lawyers and statements, himself a great English lawyer, voted, I think, 20 years ago by uh, lawyers of the country of England as the lawyer of the millennia. Like, wow. Like, I mean, he's, this is a guy that he's got a reputation even outside of the Catholic Church. It's, so it was a really special mass. We're grateful for, uh, to Bishop Peter for celebrating it. And today, it's uh, the 23rd of June as we're recording at the bar convention. There actually is a little bit of whiskey and beer involved, but only after hours uh, at the hotel bar. But uh, the, the, the South Dakota State, um, there's, we have a Thomas More Society here. So Catholic lawyers and their friends, anybody's welcome, um, are having uh, a happy hour today, a convivium. Is that a made-up made Latin word that means happy hour, I think? It sounds pretty convincing. Yeah, yeah. Con we're having a, a convivium. We're having a little happy hour um, to just celebrate uh, our profession and our friendship and fellowship within it. So uh, you and I are heading off to that in a bit. 
Yep. And I am, for the record, not an attorney, but they are graciously letting me uh, show up because uh, I do do public policy for a living. So there's some intersection there. So great. Well, we are recording this podcast in June. And as everyone knows, one issue that's been dominating the media, of course, is the Supreme Court case and Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And that is going to be a topic that will be... um, you know, addressing frequently in podcasts over the coming days and weeks. But for our podcast today, we wanted to talk about a recurring event that happens every June, and that is Pride Month. Um, it seems to be, you know, getting more and more notoriety with each passing year. And so we just want to sort of explore what should Catholics think about Pride Month? How should we respond to this kind of what I guess you could call both a cultural and a political phenomena? And, uh, I think we're going to address this issue respectfully, uh, but we're necessarily going to have to talk about matters that pertain to human sexuality. So uh, consider this perhaps a trigger warning of sorts that if you're listening to this broadcast and you have children in close proximity, then you may want to change the programming or divert them to some other activity as this is probably not a discussion for young ones. So uh, yeah, just at the outset, um, we want to ask, uh, what is Pride Month? And I've... uh, I've often thought, Chris, that if we were to, uh, you know, go to uh, one of these Pride Month parades that happen in various cities across the country, and we were to ask 10 participants, you know, what is Pride Month and what does it mean to you and why are you marching, we'd probably get 10 different answers. And, you know, one of the answers um, I'm just speculating is, is that some people would say that it's all about inclusion and treating people with respect, uh, welcoming them. And, uh, you know, if that was all there was to it, then, you know, we Catholics could find a lot of common ground with those sentiments. Uh, in fact, I will probably get into this later in the broadcast that we find, um, you know, some language about treating people with respect uh, right mm-hmm. in our own catechism. But I think if we're being honest, there's much more going on in Pride Month than just treating people with respect. There's a kind of a cultural and political agenda that's at play here and kind of really involves advancing a view of human sexuality that's contrary to the traditional Christian understanding of sexuality. So I guess maybe just to kick off the discussion, Chris, you know, if a Catholic comes to you and says, uh, you know, I've been invited to march in this Pride Month parade, should I go? You know, what are, what are some of the things that you'd want to talk to them about? Well, I mean, I think, as you pointed out, you asked 10 different people uh, what it means. You, you get 11 different answers, uh, especially if you're asking lawyers, you might get 15 different answers. <laughs> but I mean, that, that would maybe be the question I would start out with, which is, you know, why do you want to go? Um, and, and I think that there might be some good things that people might say as you've, you know, I, I, I want to support those that are feeling marginalized, or I want to support those that are feeling excluded in some way. And I don't know if we can say that that's a, it's a bad thing necessarily, but I think that we might actually ask some more questions that probe a little deeper and say, well, you know, what, what does that rainbow colored flag actually stand for? Um, you know, Sioux Falls, where I live, there is a Pride Month uh, celebration, and there's a kind of a parade downtown. And I've not I've not been, but I typically see the the, the coverage in the newspaper, and I look at some of the photos. And um, there's this there's this old saying that a uh, picture um, uh, is worth a thousand thank words. You, thank you. A picture <laughs> was worth a thousand words. And right on the sort of the first picture that it was above the headline, 
in the newspaper kind of explaining um, Pride Month was uh, it was a picture of a drag queen. So it's, um, okay, what is, what is the story that this picture is telling? So what is a, what is a drag queen? Oh, well, a drag queen is a man that is dressed as a woman, and not just dressed as a woman in a way that is sort of wanting to uh, so-called pass and sort of be in a concealed and nobody really knows what's going on here, but it's actually dressed in a woman, dressed as a woman in a way that's sort of provocative and accentuating um, what we might think of sort of uh, these uh, female physiological stereotypes. Right. So there's going to be a wig with like really done up hair. There's going to be like a lot of makeup. There's going to be some provocative clothing maybe. Um, and, you know, these sort of curves. It's a very uh, overtly sexualized caricature of a woman. Uh, and underneath it all is a is a man. This is a, that's what a drag queen is. Yeah. So you know, if we ask this question, well, why would you want to go? Okay, there's a, there's perhaps a there's a good intent there that we actually want to demonstrate love, and that's what we could really unpack. What how do we love uh, in in this context? Well, and Chris, maybe if you could, uh, you know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, is not by any means verbose on the subject of same-sex attraction and such things, but it does have some very prescient points, I think, on yeah. this. And you know, maybe you could just, without going into every chapter and verse, but maybe give sort of a 30,000-foot overview there. Sure. I'll do, I'll do that. And, and that kind of strikes at what's the basic problem with attending uh, a pride celebration is it's a celebration of something that ought not be celebrated. Let's just be yeah. clear about it. And why not? Well, here's the, the catechism, and for those who are uh, keeping score at home, we're looking at 2357, 2358, 2359. These are the provisions in the catechism that uh, are headlined chastity and homosexuality. Um, so uh, first it, it defines homosexuality, um, and then it, it kind of unpacks sacred scripture a little bit, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave uh, uh, depravity. Um, it goes on to say that the the tradition uh, of the Catholic Church has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. Now, I just want to pause there, and I want to emphasize that when the Catechism is talking about um, same-sex attraction, uh, it kind of breaks it down into these two different categories. The first is what I've just described here, homosexual acts. So, and that's it, really important to, to specify because it's um, we can describe we can describe an act as a disordered thing or as a sinful thing uh, or as a virtuous thing um, according to you know what is it what is the act that it, that we are describing um, but we also know that there are there are many many people the catechism goes on to uh, to say this is twenty three fifty eight. the number of men and women who have deep seated homosexual tendencies is not negligible. So we've, we can distinguish between an act and a tendency, or sort of, uh, in other words, a tendency would be this experience of attraction, an experience of desire. Uh, the Catechism goes on, this inclination, which is objectively disordered, it constitutes, uh, for most of them, a trial. They must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. So this... Um, the inclination it describes as being objectively disordered. That's not to say that to have the inclination itself is sinful. 
Um, we're called to all human beings, regardless of our um, attractions, are called to live lives of virtue, every single one of us, regardless of what those attractions are. But it describes the inclination as objectively disordered uh, because within our uh, our sexual at the, at the root of our sexual attractions is a reproductive system, and we can see within that we each have half of a reproductive system, right? Like we all know this. Yes. And in objectively speaking, that reproductive system is ordered towards uh, completion or fulfillment in a, a fruitful reproductive act with uh, a person of the opposite sex. Um, that's that's it. That that is the rightly ordered sexual act. We just can see it in the f- uh, physiological structure of the human body. That's why the catechism um, describes the inclination towards a same-sex tra- attraction as objectively disordered. Yeah, and you know it. It's interesting, but what you're saying there really seems to touch on a contemporary, uh, I guess you could call it a philosophical impasse in the way we see nature. And obviously, from our Catholic worldview, we believe that there's meaning, deep meaning, infused in the very design of our bodies. And yet there's a movement today, a very powerful one, I think, um, that suggests that we can transcend those physical limitations, that uh, we can, uh, you know, just reinvent ourselves in yeah. a way to be, you know, whatever we want to be. And it's uh, very contrary to our traditional understanding of sexuality and its purpose. Yeah. So. And, and I think that there are actually a lot of young people that are beginning to realize this, that a life without um, meaning that is actually tethered to something uh, real and lasting and certain, this is ultimately empty and, and, um, illusory and unsatisfying. Yes. Um, you know, we need to have a tethering to the real, um, in a way that's ordered towards the good. So, um, you know, and ultimately that meaning that we see within human sexuality, that meaning is it's generous, it's generosity, it's fecundity. It's, yes. it's, it's life giving is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's, and again, it's not, a it's not to cast stones at anybody that, that has a different experience. People don't choose, by and large, choose their experience of check, sexual attraction. It's something that they are experiencing without necessarily choosing it. Yes. Um, so it's not, to, by, by, by no means is it a finger wagging, but it is to, to recognize that it isn't ordered, that attraction itself isn't ordered to uh, uh, a life-giving um, sexual act. Yes, yes. And, you know, for our listeners who may be interested in kind of diving deeper into understanding um, not just Catholic doctrine on this issue, but also really exploring um, how to take a pastoral approach to people who are struggling with issues of same-sex attraction, there's a great ministry out there called uh, Courage, and it's uh, headed by uh, Father Philip uh, Bochansky. And if you want to find some more information online, um, the web address is couragerc.org. So that's uh, the word courage, and then rc as in Roman Catholic, uh, .org. And uh, there's just a tr- bunch of tremendous resources on that website, including a um, handbook for people who are um, involved in ministry to persons with same-sex attraction. And uh, uh, there's a great uh, – uh, one of the things that they highlight in their handbook is uh, what they call the five goals of courage. And 
you know, I, I don't know if we have time to go through all of these, but uh, the very first item on the list of the five goals of the Courage Ministry is number one, uh, to live chaste lives in accordance with the Roman Catholic Church's teaching on homosexuality. And I read that phrase and it occurred to me that you could uh, remove the word homosexuality at the end of that sentence and simply put in human sexuality and the statement would be equally true, to live chaste lives in accordance with the Roman Catholic Church's teaching on human sexuality. Because, of course, we're all called to live uh, the life of chastity according to our station in life, which obviously is, you know, varies if you're, uh, you know, living in the religious life or the priesthood or a single person or married. Um, but we're all called to live chastely. So um, can't say enough good things about the courage ministry. So... Um, Kind of getting back to Pride Month, uh, for a lot of the reasons that uh, Chris just highlighted, the it is problematic uh, for Catholics to be involved in celebrating Pride Month events because of this um, message about human sexuality that's so contrary to our Catholic tradition. And uh, but we we do have instances every year it seems where certain Catholic institutions. Um, Usually schools uh, seem to struggle with this issue. And there was a case uh, this month, uh, a school in Massachusetts in the Diocese of uh, Worcester. I think I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. I always struggle with that pronunciation. Uh, but there was a school there that uh, flew the rainbow flag. And the bishop of the diocese, uh, Bishop Robert McManus, uh, received a lot of media attention when in so many words, he issued a statement that said, uh, basically, you can, you can either choose to call your you can choose your, to call yourself a Catholic school, and you can choose to fly the pride flag, but you cannot do both. You know, he he was calling the attention of the lay Catholics in his diocese to the fact that these propositions do exclude one another, and he issued a statement, and I just want to read a a brief portion of it. Um, because he, he explores the meaning of symbols and that symbols, in this case, the rainbow flag have a meaning. And this is quoting from the bishop's letter. He says, these symbols which embody specific agendas or ideologies contradict Catholic social and moral teaching. Gay pride flags not only represent support for gay marriage, but also promote actively living an LGBTQ plus lifestyle. Others in society may say that is fine. Such people may be doing wonderful humanitarian work, but an institution that calls itself Catholic cannot condone that behavior, even though the Catholic Church will go to the mat in teaching we must love those with whom we disagree. Close quote. Yes. And I, I thought that was a very beautiful statement for its clarity um, and and also the, the implicit challenge that it uh, makes of us that we are to speak the truth in love, which is not always easy to do, especially on something that gets as emotionally charged as this. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think what you say, too, about schools kind of being sometimes being the first that maybe go a little bit astray, I think we have to recognize that there's something good within the young that sort of yearns for justice. Yeah. But, it, but that yearning uh, as this Bishop um, so properly knows as a shepherd that that yearning for justice has to be properly ordered and directed towards its true and ultimate aims. Yeah. So a couple other things that are worth exploring 
in this Pride Month phenomena are um, the government, widespread government support for Pride Month and also corporate support for Pride Month from the business community and just diving into the first one. Uh, so one of the things that we've seen increasingly in recent years is that uh, government institutions, um, uh, the federal government, sometimes state governments and local governments, uh, flying uh, pride flags, you know. And this year, amazingly, I don't know how many of our listeners have heard of this, but uh, the United States Embassy in the Vatican is actually flying a pride flag. And that when I read that, I was really struck by just the... Um, kind of uh, in-your-face quality about uh, such a statement, uh, just very provocative to do that. Um, and it, it seems that clearly the government is not being neutral here, you know, on the issue of sexuality. I mean, when, they, when the pride flag is flown outside government institutions, we really are seeing uh, the government advancing a, sec a sexual ideology, for lack of a better way to put it, are we not? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so then that maybe leads to a, a larger question to unpack, which is uh, on something as profound as human sexuality, with all the various ways that it impacts on family life, on the rearing of successive generations, and, and, and all of these things, um, is it even possible for government to be, in a sense, sort of strictly neutral. Um, is that even possible? Is it even desirable? Well, I mean, I, as Catholics, it's um, it's not desirable because the purpose of the government is to, to advance the common good. Yes. Um, and is it is it possible? Um, well, insofar as God offers his help, sure. Yeah, um, it's possible. Uh, we have to work like the Dickens and in, in charity with... Uh, we have, yeah, we have to. It's something we have to work for. Um, but I think you're absolutely right, Michael, to just point out that, uh, in fact, the government, you know, every policy, law, regulation, rule, there's there's a philosophy, there's a moral claim about what is good and bad, about what is right and wrong at the heart of the policy or rule. Even a budget is a moral document in that sense. Exactly. We're making decisions about what we value, what we think is important, what we don't value, what we don't think is important. They're not in the budget. Yeah. Um, so every, you know, this sort of uh, idea that the government is is neutral, strictly speaking, is, um, it's, it's, it's not right. Um, and when we talk about human sexuality, I think that we can properly say that the government has an interest in it. And why does the government have an interest in it? Well, um, sex makes babies. Absolutely. And, and the government has an interest in ensuring that um, children are properly, you know, educated, formed, their rights are respected. I mean, they're, they're human beings. They have human rights. Um, which is why, I mean, from a, in a certain perspective, why some of this is so hard is because this isn't just about love whoever you want. Love is love, you know, as the slogan went. This is about children and children having a right to a mother and a father. Um, it's about children having a, a right to um, be formed in a society that, that, that safeguards uh, the ancient institution that provides for their upbringing, care, and support called marriage. So, yeah, absolutely. So another element uh, we want to explore is this uh, 
widespread corporate support for Pride Month. And so, like here in downtown Rapid City, there's a, a prominent insurance business uh, downtown that's flying the Pride flag. And um, recently, my wife was working on a Microsoft PowerPoint document. And when she went to change her profile picture on the PowerPoint document, this little pop-up uh, comes up from courtesy of Microsoft saying, and there's this little checkbox that says, show your pride, celebrate pride with this special theme inspired by the colors of the pride flag, more ways to celebrate at microsoft.com forward slash pride. And this is just one example of, you know, the kind of corporate promotion of this uh, that we see all over. And uh, my wife texts me and she says, what do you suppose would happen if Microsoft suddenly started implementing a show your Christianity pop-up on their software? And uh, again, I think that just kind of underscores uh, the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely seeing a, um, a push from capitalist America, at least the very largest corporations, to advance this agenda. And, um, you know, we, we definitely need as Catholics to understand how should we respond to that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I do, I mean, with this sort of stuff too, it's like Rome, Rome is fickle emperor. Cause I was living in the state of California in 2008 when they voted to uphold uh, authentic marriage, man and a woman. And it, you know, Barack Obama ran for president 2008 marriage is between a man and a woman. And then four years later, he devolved. Think how far we've come in, you know, the span of 15 years. But when we look at corporations, that are now doing this, there is an agenda there. Um, in fact, they, they, they are making claims about what is good, about, um, about a, a particular political environment they would like to see. And imagine, I mean, we are starting to see this in some places, but imagine if this was, uh, imagine if it was abortion politics. Yeah. You know, for us as Catholics. Uh, imagine if, you know, I say we've started to see it in some places because big businesses like, I think Citibank, which has a large presence in South Dakota, has said that they're going to pay for their employees to travel out of state to get abortions if it's you know if they can't get them where they are. But I mean, you're absolutely right that there's um, there's an, a, an agenda they're trying to. I love this phrase of Pope Francis's. It's ideological colonization. There's they're advancing a particular way of thinking. Um, uh, you know, in society and upon their customers. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, as and as Catholics, um, I think that we need to have the courage to um, contact these businesses and corporations and just in charitable language, but also in, in firm and clear language, uh, simply express our views on it and express that, you know, we... Uh, don't appreciate the uh, advancement of a particular ideology of, of sexuality. Um, you know, the issue of, of boycotts uh, gets complicated, uh, but, you know, I, I certainly think it's legitimate in some cases, you know, when it's really extreme that uh, we, we may need to look at, uh, you know, considering boycotts as we move forward. So, um, well, we are almost out of time for our radio broadcast. Um, but uh, for those of you who want to uh, hear more of this discussion, uh, you can visit uh, the sdcatholicconference.org. And if you scroll down from there, you can see our podcasts and, uh, and you can uh, uh, tune into that. Uh, we'll get it posted here shortly and you can hear more of this discussion. But for our radio audience, uh, that's all we have for you and have enjoyed uh, Hope you've enjoyed this discussion and it's been edifying for you.
So continuing on, um, the um, I want to just explore a little bit about the, you know, we've talked about the issue of same-sex attraction, um, but increasingly, Chris, we're seeing this phenomena of uh, the gender identity uh, disorders and questions, and uh, it, it really is, uh, it, it, it's, it's related to the, the same-sex attraction in a sense because it gets included in that LGBTQ, you know, uh, acronym, but in a real way, this is a very different and separate issue in some ways. Can you explain that? Yeah, it, it is. And I, you know, I picked up on this from Father Bochansky of, of Courage when I heard him speak a few years ago. With same-sex attraction, there's not any confusion about who I am as a human person in my human sexuality as a man or as a woman. Um, the, the wound or the experience, if you will... Uh, is one of, of simply who I'm attracted to. It's one of, of sexual desire or romantic attraction. But with um, gender identity, gender ideology, transgenderism, whatever term we might uh, use, there's actually a different um, issue in play. And it, it has to do with who am I, not who, do I, who, do, who am I attracted to, but who am I at the core of my being? And of course, our, our human sexuality is at the core of our being. You know, I am a man, body and soul. I don't have a body. I am a soul. I don't have a soul. I, I, I am a soul. So we, we're, we're these body-soul composites, but we're not, we're not gender-neutral gender body-soul composites. God has given us a sex. And so to actually uh, experience... Uh, a deep-seated confusion or dissonance or discomfort with that identity, it's actually a completely different category of thing. Uh, it's, it's not related to attraction. Um, so it's, it's, it's different in that way, and, and we need to think about it differently. Yeah. And some commentators have noted that um, th there almost seems to be an implicit contradiction here in the LGBTQ acronym because the the very definition of these terms gay or lesbian are they're, they're a reference to same-sex attraction which implies that there is an objective definition of sex and yet right. and yet you also have this transgender ideology which almost renders that very definition meaningless and so we, we do seem to be um, in, a, in an age of confusion where um, there's like a lack of intellectual coherence in the very way that we, we talk about these categories. Yeah, so. that's right. And that came up in um, recent Supreme Court hearings for our, our newest justice, who is, I think, beginning her duties in July. We, you know, she was asked this question during um, her confirmation hearings, what is a woman? And her answer, I think, was, I'm not a biologist. <clears throat> Which is, you know, it's... It's one of the most basic facts of human existence that our species, you know, if, if you're an alien observing humanity from outer space, you can observe at least one thing about us uh, anywhere on the globe, any culture through time, and it's that we're divided into two distinct complementary, fruitfully complementary um, pieces of the human race. Yeah. It's the one constant about us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And, you know, it's, I suppose it's a bit of speculation on my part to say this, but, uh, you know, my take when I read the news about her comments in that hearing was that 
I think she knows exactly what a man is and what a woman is, but unfortunately we're in a political climate where uh, this issue gets so highly charged that people feel insecure about simply stating what was obvious, you know, only a few years ago. And, uh, and that's uh, uh, just a kind of a sad situation about our, our current cultural state. But one of the reasons we do podcasts like this is to shine the light of Catholic truth into areas of confusion. So uh, we're about out of time for our podcast today because uh, uh, Chris and I need to uh, jet off to the uh, meeting of the Thomas More Society. The convivium. The convivium, which is an exciting thing. But uh, before we close, I just wanted to say a, a couple of words about the future of the Faith and Politics uh, podcast because uh, we have a very loyal listening audience and uh, we're, we're still making plans for logistically how this is all going to work out because uh, Chris is in Sioux Falls most of the time and I'm in uh, Rapid City, but uh, we're going to try to put together a, a sort of a co-hosting uh, arrangement where as often as possible, uh, we're actually going to be doing these shows together. And uh, so you'll get uh, two for the price of one, I guess. And uh, uh, the uh, there will be times, of course, with scheduling where I'll be flying solo or maybe Chris will be flying solo. And sometimes we'll do it here in Rapid City, sometimes in Sioux Falls. We're, we're just going to uh, play that by ear. But uh, we, uh, we're very committed to continuing this podcast. We think it's a great service uh, to the Catholic community in South Dakota. Uh, so we will probably be back with you next to talk, talk about the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court, uh, which is obviously on everyone's minds these days. Um, but that's all we have for today. And until next time, live well. 